Today we're going to return to Colossians, uh, looking at chapter 2. That's in the New Testament after Matthew, Mark, Luke, and Acts, and after Romans, and before you get to Hebrews, the little book of Colossians. And we're continuing on as we get about six weeks into this uh, series. It's probably starting to feel like a little bit of a grind for some of us here, I would imagine. And maybe you had to really get excited about the, you know, coming on to church this morning. Had to work at it to, uh, to get here today. And you might be saying, Pastor, can't you give us a simple topical message that uh, we can more easily digest? And the answer is, yes, I can. And no, I won't. <laughs> and no, you shouldn't want me just to do that all the time either, because it's a little bit like uh, the sports team, uh, perhaps, that gets weary of the practices and the drills and the weight workouts, and we just want to run around and throw the ball, coach. We just want to run around and throw the ball. Well, that might be fun, might have some, some enjoyment to us, to it, but it's not going to help us win the game. Not going to help us really win the game. So once again, just a reminder, we're digging in intentionally, walking our way through Colossians. We're going to do that today. We're going to plow through some scripture that's not just easy to pick up and grab right away the meaning of, but I hope to be able to guide us successfully on that path to be able to, uh, to engage with the Lord today and see what He would have us to take away. And I think there's really, really rich truths in this passage today in particular. Uh, last week we saw that we're in this section that we've called Exalted Christianity under this bigger heading of Colossians of seeking satisfaction in the supremacy of Christ. We're looking at exalted Christianity, what is elevated, what is worthwhile, what is worthy above all others of the Christian message. And we said that one of the things we're challenged by is all the isms. And we acknowledge that probably not too many of us are card-carrying members of a club called relativism or individualism or hedonism, you know, the seeking of pleasure for pleasure's sake consumerism, nationalism, socialism, uh, all of these isms. We're probably not wearing some badge or identification mark that says we're, you know, we're in with that, that group, so to speak. But the, the question really in Colossians is not if we're being influenced and shaped by those isms, but how. And I would challenge us, we talked about it last week, to think about how those isms are actually shaping you and me today. Now, one ism that we didn't talk about last week is syncretism. There's a big philosophical church theological word for you. S-Y-N-C-R-E-T-I-S-M, syncretism. And no, that's not when you finally succeed in getting the emails on your phone to match up with the emails on your laptop, right? Nor is it that junk that builds up in the kitchen after you're done washing dishes in the drain. That's not what syncretism is, all right? Syncretism is when we take various belief systems or philosophies or ideologies or worldviews that actually don't fit together they don't cohere. They can't work together. They have elements of them that collide with each other, and we try to piece them together, right? 
Give me a little bit of the relativism of our culture. Give me a little bit of the consumerism and the individualism. Give me a little bit of the materialism, meaning the fact that the world is just material and there's sort of nothing else out there. Give me, let me piece all this together into my little hodgepodge of belief system. And in a sense, all of us, uh, if you're in Christ today, you've come to know Christ, we're in a lifelong ism recovery program of seeking to reorient our life week by week to the Bible and its message, its worldview, and filter out all these other isms, or at least the parts of those isms that collide with Christianity. So, we, we, we've seen that, we, we've seen Paul bring that up last week, and we're going to see him bring it up today as we walk through this passage. And it's, you know, as we read this, you're going to say, what? Circumcision? What? Angels? Worship of angels? Food laws, Old Testament food law practices, elemental principles. I I don't even know what's going on here. Where's up? Where's down? Well, the Colossians had uh, developed a master's degree, maybe even a Ph.D. in syncretism and bringing all of these things together. And we'll talk about the particular ones that they struggle with and how we're impacted by them as well. But read along with me now. Uh, Colossians chapter 2, we'll start in verse 11, and we'll see uh, what God's Word has to say to us about these things today. In Him you were also circumcised with a circumcision without hands, by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with Him in baptism, in which you were also raised with Him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised Him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, flesh means sinful nature, God made alive together with Him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This He set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in Him, in Christ. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food or drink or with regard to the festival or new moon or Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason in his sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used according to human precepts and teachings? These indeed have an appearance of wisdom. Remember, these things only work because they are plausible in promoting self-made religion and asceticism. It's a big word we'll talk about in a minute. And severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Let's pray together. Father, we need help to understand your word and apply it to our lives. Thank you 
that you delight to give that help when we seek it. We need it today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Chris Stein. Chris Stein. Might not mean anything to you, but in sixth grade, Lincoln Junior High, outside the suburbs of Chicago, Chris Stein was the biggest bully on the playground that you could find. And uh, one day, yours truly had finally had enough. Finally had enough. Oh, there's yours truly. Circa 1986. Decided to... Uh, take on the bully of the playground. And, you know, even in those days before Instagram and uh, Snapchat, word traveled really fast. So by the time I left one part of the playground and it reached the, like, tennis courts that were nearby, uh, already a crowd had gathered together, and immediately Chris and I began to engage in a fight, which was essentially the two of us sort of flopping our arms around, neither one connecting with any sort of punch, even though I'd had visions of Rocky versus Drago in my mind as I approached him, and falling to the ground. And by the time we even regrouped to come in for a second run in it, the teachers had gotten us, and we were off, you know where, to the principal's office. Suspension. The ruling came down. Suspension. Mom was called. Trouble, right? Suspension put in to that official, they, they actually let you watch them do it. Get out a file from the filing cabinet that has your name on it. Principal puts the suspension sheet in there. Record on file. Principal, I guess, told my parents later that as long as I kept up good behavior the rest of my illustrious middle school career, that I could have that record canceled. I don't think they told Chris Stein that because his rap sheet was as long as you could imagine, but whether you're Chris Peters or Chris Stein or whatever your name is, this passage reminds us of a glorious, glorious truth that each one of us deserves if you will, to be brought into the principal's office. We've done something that's clearly wrong, many things, and thought things and said things that are clearly wrong. And there is a record of that. They do not go without observation. They can be seen, they can be understood by the living God. And yet here's the amazing thing. That record can and is removed through Christ. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing that we can have that blessing and privilege? As a way to summarize these verses today, the uh, main idea is this, that because God has made us alive with Christ, canceling your record and my record, that's for those that are in Christ, have recognized Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and begun to walk with Him by faith and repentance. It's not a carte blanche promise for everyone. It's through faith and repentance. We should reject salvation by legalism or asceticism. We're going to get to those in a moment. Well, here's the thing. 
as we look at these verses and we see all of these ways that the Colossians were trying to put various behaviors, it seems, in their life and various religious practices to try to figure out a way to seek God. And really they were, in some senses, adding or seeking to add on to what they already had in Christ. But these additional religious practices and behaviors were reminded of this important question. Should we, as Christians, be so captivated by God and our relationship with God that we diligently and rigorously pursue a holy life set apart to God. Absolutely we ought to. That's exactly what we all ought to be doing. The problem is, like the Colossians, we tend to get it off kilter and go about it the wrong way. Instead of seeking transformed life, and even outward things that would reflect that transformed life, because of what has been offered to us in Christ, because that record has been canceled, we so often get into the habit of doing it to make ourselves feel like we're better people, feel like we're more moral people, feel like we've done the right thing, instead of just as a response to God's goodness and grace to us. So let's take a look at what these verses have to say about all of this. Verses 11 to 13 talks about this theme of being made alive in Christ. And this is an interesting idea that's woven all throughout here. We'll get back to the theme of circumcision in just a minute. But it tells us that all of these things that happened to Jesus, look at verse 13, we were dead in our trespasses, but God made us alive together with Him. What is that about? What is that idea? Well, the theologians call it this. They call it union with Christ. And it's actually probably one of the greatest blessings of Christianity that's least talked about in our church circles. And you all actually understand it already perfectly. You just don't realize that you do. Some of us yesterday lost. Right? That hurts even to have me say it. But the Nittany Lions lost too, okay? And some of you I know were idle yesterday, but you know, everybody's got their day coming. Some of us lost yesterday. I lost while I was sitting in my living room in Birmingham, Alabama, and my team was playing however many hundreds of miles away in 30-some degree weather in a stadium in Minnesota right? Others of you might have lost with a hot dog and a drink in your hand down on a certain part of real estate in Tuscaloosa watching over a 100-yard by 50-yard field. But we didn't really lose or win if your team won yesterday. The 22 players on the field are the ones who won or lost. They're the ones that played the game, and yet we get out, and you might have not missed the games yesterday, and you opened up your app this morning and looked at the news. Oh, we won! You didn't even know the game was going on, but we won! Well, you didn't win. I didn't win. We didn't lose. I didn't lose. The people on the field did, but we talk about it as our loss and our win. Why? Because we have union with our team. 
That's a union that we've largely chosen of our own volition, right? I was kind of raised in the Nittany Lion heritage. You could say it comes up through your family. There's probably a lot of spiritual illustrations here. But uh, the union with Christ is one that we also choose, but that God gives to us when He is choosing us as well. So when the Bible talks about this idea of union with Christ, that's the backdrop of all of this stuff here in these verses talking about circumcision. Now, what's the message about that? Circumcision is always an interesting one to to talk about. Reminds me of one of my favorite uh, stories, the two boys that were in the hospital getting ready to have operation and they were just young guys sitting there on the, the uh, tables getting ready to go in for their uh, surgeries, but the two little boys got to talking to one another. And the first one said to the other, he said, well, what are you in here for? And that kid said, well, I'm supposed to have my tonsils taken out. First kid said, oh, man, that's no problem. You know, they give you, they get your tonsils taken out, then you get ice cream, and, and it's, it's fantastic. You'll be okay in, in like a week. And the second guy uh, responded back to him and said, well, what are you in here for? And he said, well, I'm in here for a circumcision. First guy said, oh, man, I had that when I was born. Couldn't walk for a year. (laughs) That poor little illustration sits in my illustration file for years and years, waiting for an opportunity to (laughs) be enjoyed. Like that one, didn't you, Sonny? Okay. Not really. What's this all about with circumcision? Well, circumcision, like baptism, like the Lord's Supper, was supposed to be a sign and a seal to represent certain spiritual realities, right? Particularly in the heritage of the Old Testament people of God. Jeremiah 4.4 says, Circumcise yourselves to the Lord, lest my wrath go forth like fire because of your evil deeds. Remove, sorry for the language here, the foreskin of your hearts. Goes on in another passage in the Old Testament, and the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul that you may live. Right? That sounds like some New Testament stuff. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul. Tied to a sign and a seal that represented certain things in the Old Testament. Well, how does this correlate? Is this a great passage for us to help understand our practice in our particular church circles of infant baptism and applying the sign and the seal and all that stuff? Absolutely. But that's not the purpose of the passage today for our discussion. What this tells us, it's interesting, is that for the early church in this particular Colossian group, they wanted to help people in their understanding, have the fullness of the experience of being a Christian. And so what one message that was out there was essentially that you couldn't go from your Gentile world straight to God, and then Jews who were going also realizing who Christ was coming to God, you had to go over here, become Jewish, and then come back in order to relate to God. That was one of the issues in the early church. And you can understand because of the history of the Old Testament people of God, why that was valued and why it was important. It would be a little bit like, if, we can, if this helps us, be a little bit like if I got uh, my Chevy Tahoe that I drive from a dealer or something. They had a mechanic there. And then I come back 10 years later, and somewhere along the way, I had decided to change the exterior of that 
to a um, Ford Expedition or something. So the outside has changed. It's a completely different color, completely different brand on it and everything. And I come back to the, to the dealer and I say, the engine's not running right. I need you to work on the engine. Something's wrong under the hood, in the heart, if you will. And the dealer says, well, we can work on the engine, but first we got to put the Tahoe exterior back on it before we can work on it, right? So you understand sort of how they, they got this way, but it really doesn't get to the heart of the issues. One of the quotes that I think is in your worship guide, and maybe uh, Jason could put up on the screen, is this. It just says, says this, you believers, here's, here's what this is summarized as, you believers have no need of external circumcision. You've received a far better circumcision, that of heart and life, which was really what the Old Testament circumcision was about too. The circumcision is yours by virtue of your union with Christ. When He was, bar when he was buried, you, that is your former wicked selves, were buried with Him. When He was raised, you as new creatures were raised with Him. Dry bones made alive, right? In the experience of baptism, you receive the sign and seal of this marvelous spirit-wrought transformation. So, here's what all that stuff means. That means that you and I, through union with Christ, can have access to new life through Him, being raised up to newness of life. And what are some of the blessings of that? Look with me here at the, the beauty of having our sin record cancel and spiritual opponents disarmed. This is in verses 13 through 15. Tells us we were dead in our trespasses. God made us alive with Him. And then listen to some of the benefits and blessings that you, if you're a Christian today, enjoy. Having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us, He set it aside, He nailed it to the cross, and He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame. This is like on Christmas morning or on your birthday when you get that gift bag and it's got all the tissue paper in it, right? And you've got three things, let's say, that you really wanted to get for your birthday or for Christmas. And someone who loves you and cares about you sets this bag before you and you don't want to you don't want to have that embarrassing moment where you're rummaging too much through the tissue paper, right? To see, you know there's at least one gift in there. But you reach in to grab that one gift and you just, you know, as you're reaching in, you sort of move the tissue paper around. Are we dealing with a one gift bag here? Are we dealing with three or four or how many gifts we got in here? And you, you notice even as you're bringing out the first gift that you really want, there's something else still in the bag. And you're, you're even more excited. Like, I got this gift, forgiveness, that I don't deserve, which is a personal and relational restoration with the living God. I don't deserve that. A lot of times as people, we have trouble forgiving one another. God forgives us over and over again. I get that gift, and then you know, oh, there's, there's another one in there, and you reach back down in. And while you're grabbing that one out, you're even more excited because you just bumped into another little gift that's down in that bag. And you bring out this second gift, which is that record being blotted out that I already talked about. And people of God, if you can't get excited about verse 14 and the end of it, I don't know what I can do for you today. Jesus took your record and my record of all those things that we've done and will do and are doing that do not align with His glorious will, and He nailed it to the cross with Jesus. 
He did that. That's part of that gift package. And then we bump into this other thing that's in the bag that we pull out and are delighted to see, which is kind of a military warfare conflict image, and that is that he's disarmed the opponents that stand against us. And most of us, I know, it's just our, it's our, it's the water we swim in. We're in a secular society, and there's other parts of the world where they're really maybe overly focused on spiritual powers and demons and all that stuff. We don't think about it at all. And it's in the Bible that some of these things that are going on in our hearts, our struggles with addiction, maybe our struggles with anxiety, maybe our struggles with sexual temptation, or the things that are going on in our culture where people's lives are being taken and people are treating one another violently. Do we ever think that maybe those things are going on because there's spiritual forces that we don't see that are messing with us and actually love to see uh, stealing destruction and death coming into our lives and hearts. Jesus reminds us those things are disarmed. They no longer have the authority over you and me that they did. And he invites us to lay claim to what he's done. Those are powerful things in an awesome gift bag. Last thing this leads us to is because of all of those things that are in that awesome gift bag, then the Apostle Paul just finds it incredulous. He just cannot understand what they're doing then in their spiritual realm. And so he gets to verse 16 on down through 23, and he says this, all of this stuff about food and drink and all of this stuff about do not handle, do not taste. What's all of that about? Well, two main things. We don't have time today to dive into all the details of it. We, even today, we have a couple of different tendencies that we go into spiritually. Legalism is one of those, right? We can take the gospel and go in a direction of license, which means, hey, I got forgiveness from God. I'll just go live my life however I want to. You know, irregardless of what God's good commands tell me to do, I'll just take, you know, have grace, will party, go whatever direction I want. That's license. Legalism is that other direction that we often tend to go which can be somebody thinking, well, I will just by being a good person or by obeying certain religious rules get to God without Jesus. But it can also be somebody who's embraced Jesus and then their life becomes consumed and focused in on the laws for the law's sake and the rules for the rule's sake. I'm going to have my quiet time because i got to have a quiet time, not because I want to meet God in the quiet time. got to go to church, got to give to church because I'm supposed to give to church, not because I'm being transformed into a generous heart to want to glorify the Lord. We create and then compound rules upon rules. Apostle Paul was really concerned about this because he says in verse 17, these things are supposed to be a shadow of the things to come. A shadow's not all bad, right? You can imagine you're expecting somebody to arrive at some get-together you're having on a sunny day, and you happen to be in a position to where you can see maybe coming around the corner or something, you see their shadow first. And if you know the person real well, kind of maybe how they walk and sort of how their body looks and so forth, you could probably even pick them out from their shadow and say, oh, so-and-so's coming around the, the corner. But the shadow is not the person, right? It's not the fullness of it. 
And the Apostle Paul is concerned that these people are settling for something less. So legalism is one thing. The other thing they're settling for is something called asceticism. Boy, that's a big Bible word, but it's right there. What's asceticism? Asceticism is the idea that I can gain spiritual uh, ground and spiritual progress merely by physical constraints and limitations. That's why it says do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Right? And the problem with it is, is that it ignores the internal. Okay? Now, before we think that, oh, who would ever think that? Who would ever live that way? How many of us are on a weekly basis in some form or fashion trying to find life, trying to find eternity through what we eat or don't eat on the physical side to stay physically healthy, our workouts and all the energy we spend in those, how many of us are spending more time, more energy thinking about those things than the spiritual workout that we need to have, than the internal heart workout we need to experience? For the folks in Colossians, it was a whole worldview and perspective. Asceticism was the word that, um, that theologians used for it. Well, what does all of this uh, tell us as we conclude? A couple of questions for us to wrestle with about uh, that Colossians is presenting to us as we close. Did Jesus not rescue us out of the domain of darkness? Colossians 1.13, yes. Is not the Son the head of every power and authority around Colossians 2.10, yes. Is it not true that those same authorities were created by Him, Jesus, who made all things, we see in Colossians 1? Yes. Did Christ not triumph over them in the desert through His temptation? Matthew 4, yes. Did He not bind up the strong man, the Gospels tell us, Matthew 12? Did He not see Satan fall like lightning from heaven, Luke 10? Was not the accuser of the brethren cast down? Revelation 12. Then listen to this. Last two sentences from one commentary. He says, Is it not true then that by these great redemptive acts God publicly exposed these evil powers to disgrace, leading them captive in truth? Yes, in and through His Son, the triumphant Christ, God has achieved victory over Satan and all his host. And that victory is your life, your joy, my life, my joy. We're raised up when he's raised up. We win when he wins. We share in that victory. And then lastly, whatever you need then is in Christ. Whatever you and I need is in Christ. Do you believe that today? Let's pray.